Good morning. The reading this morning is taken from Romans, and it's chapter 5, verses 1 to 8. And you'll find it in the Bibles, if you can see one around you, on um, page 1132. 1132, and it's Romans 5, verses 1 to 8. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, although for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Helen. Hopefully, um, when people come up here and speak, um, it's my sort of hope whenever I speak uh, that the Lord will speak to me um, uh, first. And most definitely, uh, in this passage this week, uh, God has been at work for me. And I'll explain a bit more about that as we uh, go through. Um, I deliberately wanted us to reflect, just before we heard God's word, um, at what stops us from feeling peace, which Paul has said in that passage, uh, we have. Or what stops us knowing the love that Paul says in that passage is poured out into our hearts uh, again. And Paul says that we glory in our sufferings. Um, uh, Other translations have it as we rejoice in our sufferings. And right at the start, I want to be clear about what Paul is not saying here. He's not saying that we rejoice even though we suffer. If we understand that we rejoice even though we suffer, we're being stoic. And stoicism says, oh, we mustn't grumble. Uh, We must just sort of carry on, pull up our socks and, and plod on as we do. We might be struggling with something, but we need to just get going, keep going, and not worry about it because he says we rejoice even though we suffer. It doesn't say that. It says we rejoice in our suffering. But I hear this slight misconception over and over again, and I'm guilty of thinking it myself even this week. I don't believe that's what Paul is saying here. Nor is it what we see in Scripture over and over again. Those of us who are doing Bible in a year at the moment, we're in Job. In Job, it says that he ripped off his clothes, shaved his head in agony over the situation that he was in. And yet it says, in all these things, Job was without sin. Countless times we see in the Gospel Jesus weeping, crying, crying out. And yet Jesus is perfect. And the problem with us, if we, if we move towards stoicism, 
is it will likely cause us to either move to flat denial, not admitting when we've got problems or issues going on in our lives, or it will turn us into hard and harsh characters who uh, say, oh, quit your whining, quit your complaining, just get on with it, it doesn't matter, you'll be fine. And I don't believe that's what Paul is telling us in this passage. Here he's telling us to glory, he's, here he's telling us to glory or rejoice in our suffering. So what, what does that mean for us this morning, wherever we are with those scores? It means that we have a hope that we can hold on to even in the suffering. A hope which is bigger and greater than any suffering that we might uh, be experiencing. I've uh, tried to reflect on this quite a bit this week, as I've said already. I think uh, in my 38 years on this planet, uh, the greatest trial that I've had to experience was probably my dad dying uh, when I was 10 years old. If there was a way to measure the struggles that we face, and thankfully there isn't, but if there was, probably that would be towards the top, coupled perhaps with the miscarriage that Jess and I suffered before Jacob was born. Both suffering, both intensely painful. And yet the 10-year-old Adam that suffered uh, then, lost his father, or the 30 or so year old Adam that went through a miscarriage, lost a hoped for child, has quite a lot to teach, I discovered this week, to the 38-year-old Adam who stands before you this morning. Because actually, in truth, those versions of me didn't really waver in the hope that I have in Jesus. Of course, I was sad. Of course, I was distraught with grief. But I held to the hope that I had in Jesus, even more acutely, perhaps rejoicing or at least glorying in the suffering that I was experiencing. And yet, as I asked myself these questions at the start of this week, and I didn't score five in either, I'm being honest... As I tried to work out what was causing me a lack of peace, a lack in the belief of God's love for me, the things that I wrote down were nowhere near as big or as painful as what I suffered uh, then. And I tried to understand why I'm experiencing this grief, this pain, this difficulty now, when I perhaps didn't as much then. I was, was able to rejoice or glory in my suffering more then. Last week, for those of you who are here, we're going through Romans at the moment, if you're new with us uh, today. Last week, we were in that wonderful, significant part of Scripture that reminds us that we are justified by faith alone. And I was uh, with a small group earlier this week, and we reflected on how easy it is for us to forget that truth, to long to be able to do something in order to fix things for ourselves. And these passages are related. It begins with the word, therefore. Therefore, it is there for a reason. And I wonder if sometimes it's easier to hold on to this hope that we have in the things that we do have some, we don't have any control over. It's easier to hold on to this hope in things that we don't have any control over. We become perhaps resigned to them and trusting of God. And yet our peace is somehow disturbed more by things that we feel like we could fix or we could have some control over. If we're struggling financially, we can try and earn a bit more money or save a bit more money. If we're struggling with our health, we can maybe do things in order to help that. And I expect most of us have got lists somewhere, if we're honest, in our heads of the things that we think Jesus could and should be sorting out and the things that we recognize he probably can't sort out. 
And we're okay to hold on to the hope with the things that we think he's probably okay not to sort out. But actually we stand and go, ah, why don't you just fix this thing here or solve this thing here? Whatever it is that we think he should be doing. We limit his power perhaps. We let him off with some things. But yet we uh, go before him on, and say, why are you not dealing with these others? And that, I think, can lead us to less peace. Because I think we are, again, putting our hope in something that other, other than Jesus. Let me use a, a silly example um, to help with this. Imagine that after the service this morning, somebody hits me with a crowbar on my knee, uh, and it's very, very painful, and I go to the doctor, and the doctor says, uh, Adam, you're... Your knee is very badly injured, but I've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is it will heal almost completely. Uh, you'll be able to jog, you'll be able to run, you'll be able to go for a drive, you'll be able to walk around as normal. Uh, but the bad news is, I'm really sorry, you'll never again be able to figure skate. How do I respond to that, do you think? in that piece of news? Do I spend six weeks weeping and gnashing of teeth? Or because I've only actually been skating twice in my life, both of times I hated it with a passion, I say to the doctor, great, this is only good news for me. You have not broken something on which I am uh, holding out my hope. And yet, what if I was an Olympic skater? What if my entire life was wrapped around that? A trial is only a trial dependent on what our hope is fixed on. Be it our looks, our intelligence, our children, our wealth, our role. And these are all good things not to be taken lightly, but they shouldn't be our prime hope. If we get our identity from them, and we all do, me especially, if we get our identity from them, they're invulnerable. Because there's only one thing this scripture is reminding us. That, we can, that can never be shaken. That is your love for him and his love for you. Now, Paul also says that this suffering produces perseverance, character, and hope. How does it do that? Another poor illustration, perhaps. But imagine one of these uh, oil heaters before our windows were replaced. We had many of these around a, a very cold vicarage, but it's a bit warmer now. You could say that these heaters are heating the home despite the cold air that's around them. But another way of thinking about it is that this oil heater is heating the room because of the cold air that is around it. It is doing it as a response to it. The colder that the room gets, the more the thermostat punches heat into the room. Now, the heater illustration falls down because this is automatic. And for us, it isn't. The thermostat's automatic, but Paul says we have to use our brains. In the passage, he says, because we know, we need to apply our knowledge, we need to apply our knowledge in order to grow. I asked at the start how peaceful you feel today, how confident you are of God's love for you today. And I'd like to just suggest briefly uh, a way in which you could move forward if you scored lower than a five for either of those to, in order to persevere, to grow in character, to see more hope. 
Now, I've used these uh, before for other things, but not in this context. Um, I'm going to suggest five words, and I'm going to spend about a minute on each of them, in case you're suddenly worried he's got five points to his sermon and he's been talking for ten minutes. Five words. We might have come across these before. First of all, the first word is recognize, are, recognize. This is the work that we just did a minute ago, the work of recognizing what is affecting our peace at the moment, what is affecting us, stopping us in some way or another from, from knowing that God loves us in some way. The second one is to repent. The word repentance literally just means to turn around, to turn away. And this is, again, remembering what I said at the start. This isn't about being stoic. It's about repenting of allowing whatever it is to affect our core identity. Repenting of that, uh, of believing something that isn't true, perhaps. The third R is to receive. Receive afresh God's forgiveness and God's love. A moment longer on the next two. Rebuke. We are, it says in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is about taking thought, every captive, every thought that would have us believe that something can shake that inner peace that the Lord offers us, that inner love that he gives us, that unconditional love that the Lord gives us. That something could shake that. It's, it's about taking that thought and rebuking it. It doesn't have to be hard. We just say, I rebuke in the name of Jesus that lie that is being spoken to me at the moment. Because the war that goes on in this world is a war for truth. And the evil one seeks to speak lies into the lives of believers. And yet we have a truth that we can hold to. We have a truth that goes beyond them. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And lastly, we realign. We speak and we act in truth. This is how God responds to the lies of the evil one uh, when uh, in the wilderness. He speaks truth against uh, the lies that come to him. And often I, I say to people, if you have a car and it's got dodgy brakes and you take it to the garage and the garage says, oh yes, those brakes are indeed very dodgy. Uh, I'll take them out for you. Here's your car back. Uh, you are left with no brakes, and so therefore left in a worse situation than you were before. This is about replacing, realigning uh, uh, the, the lies that we believed with God's truth. And for this, that's why you've got these birthright cards. Just pick those up. You should have a copy uh, near to you. These are truths about uh, those of us who believe that, that Jesus is Lord, and they are true about every single one of us. You may, we've used these a number of times in the past. If you haven't got one already, uh, you're welcome to take a handful. I've got about 4,000 still to get through. Uh, so uh, do take more than, you would, more than you can use. Put them in every room of the house. I know some of you have already. These are simple truths that, that, that the Bible tells us about ourselves, about us. And they, we can use these to do that work of realigning from the lies of the evil one. Let me give you an example. Let's imagine for a moment that uh, when we talked about the God's love question, we recognized that there was some sin going on in us, which is making us to feel 
making us feel unworthy of God's love for us. Now, uh, we may well repented of that already, uh, and uh, we can do that again if we haven't. We can repent of that, turn away, say sorry to God for it. We can receive his forgiveness, know that we are forgiven for it. We can rebuke the lies of the evil one, the lie that says that that sin is just too big, or that Jesus forgives everybody else, but he doesn't actually forgive you. Those are lies of the evil one. They are not truth. And then we can realign. We can use the promise on the back under I am accepted for Colossians 1. I have been forgiven for all of the things I have done wrong. And when I feel that uh, affecting my peace again, I can go back into the, the second two of these to rebuke again the lies of the evil one and to realign ourselves with the truth of Scripture. Now, this five words is not, to be, let me be clear, not a religious formula that I'm suggesting you all kind of have tattooed on your hands or anything like that. Uh, none of that. It's a helpful set of principles to help us walk closer to Jesus, to help us to know his peace more in our lives, to help us to know his love more in our lives. And we're going to do this together in a moment. But before then, I want to just finish with this. Um, this last weekend, I wasn't here because uh, I was away with uh, discipleship year students uh, for their weekend away, and we were looking at Daniel. Uh, and in Daniel 3, we see the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know it, I'm sure. And they refused to worship the image of gold, which is made by the king. And as a result, the king throws them into a fiery furnace. And it was so hot that the guards putting them into the fiery furnace are killed by the heat. And yet, the king looks down into the furnace and sees four men walking around and not screaming. And in astonishment, he runs down and he gets them to open the furnace and the three men come out, but the fourth doesn't. And the king doesn't know who he is, but of course we do. The king says, I saw one looking like the son of God. Isaiah 43 says, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. We can rejoice. We can be at peace. We can know the love that we have from Jesus because we have a hope that is beyond our suffering and because we have an assurance that Jesus walks with us through the fire. That same Jesus who, when he went through the fire, went alone, never leaves us to do the same. The Jesus that went into a furnace for you so that you can go through the little furnaces with him. And all that will happen is that our dross will be consumed and our gold will be refined. For nothing can take away his love which has been poured into our hearts. I wonder if you would stand with me perhaps as Mary and the band return ready to lead us in a moment or two. I'm just going to leave this on the screen for a moment or two. And just before we sing, 
If you answered less than five for either of those questions, if you answered less than five for both of those questions, then choose whichever one you want to. Uh, but choose whichever question. Or if you know that you need to know more of God's peace today or more of his love today, just hold that in your mind. And then I'm going to give you 30 seconds or so to bring before the Lord whatever it is that you've already identified as stopping you from, from knowing his truth. say these words together. Most merciful God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we confess that we have sinned in thought, word and deed. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbours as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us to amend what we are and direct what we shall be, that we may do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you, our God. Amen. As we stand, let's remember that we are forgiven, that we are loved. I am a child of God, my Father intimately and infinitely loves me. Lord, we thank you for that truth. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the gift of forgiveness. And we receive that forgiveness together and know that we are loved by you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are loved by you. Lord, as we stand in your love, knowing your promise, we rebuke the work of the evil one and the lies that he would seek to bring us off path with you. We take captive every thought, Lord Jesus, and we make it obedient to you. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets themselves up against our knowledge of you and your love for us. Lord, as we go into this week, we pray that you would help us to know your love for us, your presence in our lives, and the peace that you promise us. Would you help us to hold to that peace and walk always in your promises? In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.